0: I feel like the process of making records is all about like finding the pieces of yourself that are yourself. And that's art making, right? Like It's like taking disparate elements, putting them together into something that has an emotional resonance for other people. Now you've done your job because it's not all about you. It's about other people.
1: You're listening to Record Room, a podcast where we meet the artists behind an album we love. your host, Will Felker. Kenny Starr is an artist from Canada who's been making records since the mid-90s. She also stars as the host of Play Your Gender, a documentary that grapples with issues of sexism and access for women in the music industry. Her eighth album, Feed the Fire, arrives in October of this year, and features the music you'll hear throughout this episode. The only exception is Rainbows, her track with Voodoo Kids, a new project from Spec of the Dream Warriors. I spoke with Kenny Starr in February during the Athena Film Festival at Barnard College, where she screened the film. In this episode, she tells the story of how both Feed the Fire and Play Your Gender were made. Here's Kenny Starr on Record Room.
2: Go get it, cause it's a good day. Go get it, i it, it up anyway. Uh-huh, we big it up, it's a big world. You won't even feel me cause you can't see me I'm like the wind went through the trees Rocking ambition Self vision, love vision now Go get it cause it's a good day Go get it, I'll make it even better now Go big it up anyway Big it up, it's a big road Go get it cause it's a good day Go get it, I'll make it even better now Big it up anyway. Big it up here a big one. Do it right when you go to get it done. Two, do it up again better than the last time. Three, never try to be anyone but you. Open up, even close doors. Five times not a leader, he's kicking behind. Six, stick yourself from his vision.
0: I was in a cab that was driving down a hill in Vancouver and uh, there was a distracted driver a woman on her cell phone that rolled a stop sign so we went right into her and so it's been about three years almost exactly three years now of various things going wrong in my body and like this arm it it functions but not perfectly and it has a lot of weird effects Uh, like if I play instruments and stuff it can black me out or make me puke or feel like the ground is moving there's a lot of n- neurological stuff that's happening in my pelvis and also um, my brain I have a, a head injury that I'm still recovering from so yeah it's been three years of kind of re uh, it's kind of actually quite cool the, to come Like I'm starting to feel quite a lot better so it's been a very interesting experience of feeling not well because I usually feel quite well Yeah, so it's been informative.
1: Feed the Fire is, Mm -hmm. I think, a particularly interesting album because a lot of it, you had to change the practices, Mm -hmm. you know, in the ways that you've typically worked,
0: yes. Before,
1: so I'm, I'm interested both in art as therapy. There's a lot of work, you know, and there are figures like Melody Gardot who've also suffered major trauma and and had to go through the neurological work, and music became something that she, for instance really could forge the new pathways within her own mind. And she's a really inspiring success story for mm-hmm. that and, and an incredible musician. But I find it interesting because you are such a self-produced person. And you write and produce so much of your work and your work is not limited to one medium, mm-hmm. so to speak. But that this, this record sounds very much like what any Kenny Star fan would expect and in a lot of ways is almost like a return Thanks to music. As far as you as a lyricist and having a real hip-hop sensibility, I was really happy to hear feed the fire
0: I, I felt when I was making this record because i f- I ha- was dealing with so much discouragement in not being able to use my body properly, and it was so like there's a weird thing with like when you're experiencing trauma and everybody Anyone who comes into contact with you, they just go, but you look great. And so it's like, oh, it's a really weird thing because it feels like you're being discredited every time you try and open your mouth and say, look, like, I can't understand you. I can't tell what language you're speaking, bro. Like, it's a weird thing to have a head injury. Like, and so I felt like, like with Feed the Fire, I really felt and feel this i feel like we ultimately whatever we're dealing with whatever kind of adversity that we're dealing with it's it's when we find that thing in inside of us and i think it is inside of us like i don't think it's something outside i think it's something inside of us that makes us well and so that's really what the record is about because like even if you're not dealing with injuries, we're all dealing with this sense of like separation because the digital world is pushing us so far away from ourselves. So I, I felt like a kinship with people like that I hadn't really felt before because I'm I'm generally like an interloper and like an outsider and a loner and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I felt like this huge sense of community because I realized I was like, well, if I feel this way from a car accident, imagine how many people feel that this way because car accidents are happening every second. And I, I it, it generated a feeling of like I don't know solidarity and compassion, like a greater sense of compassion for other people. And it was a, it's been a pretty intensely like uh, educational experience. And, and I really appreciate you bringing up the point about lyricism because lyricism for me is like my, I'm like heavily influenced by hip hop. So with this record like with not having to play all the instruments and do all of the arrangements and everything, I was really free. Like my collaborator, Doug Romano, he he was so fast and so efficient and he has a strong religious like he, he he's like a foundational person, an ethical person too. It was so enjoyable to have like because I've never had it. I'm always slaving over every different component of the record, including the artwork and the visuals and the. So all of a sudden it was like, oh, I can't do that because I can't draw because it makes me barf. So here, find someone else to draw, and I can't play instruments because it's going to black me out. Here, we got to find someone else to do that, and and then it was just amazing. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm rambling too much, but no, it's been an all.
1: incredible experience. It's good to hear and I think it's important it's an important story for people to hear especially as they if you know one is damaged or having yeah. their own physical traumas exactly. you, know. you know I read your CBC article mm. where you made a very direct address about what you were feeling physically and I thought that was a brave thing to do after reading that the the writing kind of ended mm. with a statement like I don't know if I'll play again I don't know if these mm. skills will come back Yeah, and here we are you know almost a year later and you've got a new record and a film out which is terrific really grounding it in the record i imagine just starting to feel like your faculties coming back
0: well no what was the
1: point where, I, yeah what was your
0: experience in terms of my faculties returning to me musically i don't have them yet so i still can't play drums or keys or guitars so they they might return but but yeah the process of making the record was really fun and it it really gave me yeah, I don't know. it just gave me gave me some hope.
1: What else can you tell me about the album?
0: Well, it was really fun to come up with some of the themes. like it's challenging like the song I'm ready. That song is really it, it's really trying to like articulate that that feeling that like you, when you see someone who's in a relationship, for example, that where they're stuck. That's what I was trying to articulate in that track. So when we talked about it, when when Spec came in and, and it was like, you know, here's what I'm writing about. Do, can you write for this? And he was like, Oh yes, I can definitely. I'm definitely. I've got something I can really add to with that. Because most people have either they're they're experiencing it right now, or they've experienced it enough, or they've got brothers and sisters who have gone through that. So I tried with the content to hone in on life experiences that like it's really hard to write about life in in a, a way that is refreshing and I think that's that's what I strive for like that's what I strive for like in my pursuit of excellence I want to try and write good material about mundane things so that's kind of every song is if you break it down it's really a lot of the songs are super basic in their their um, crystallization like where they come from but then the challenge is always like well how do you say how do you write a song about that that thing that happens one morning when you get up and you're like no this is done i'm done
1: was there any transition between the accident and then having to deliver another album
0: uh, yeah, I delivered an album to my record label that they rejected that I made tr- trying to do it the old way, like where I was making executive decisions and and it was crap. And so, yeah, I definitely, I went through some crazy moments in my head where I was like, wow, like my whole thing that I just built, I just worked on this career with no musical background or training whatsoever I just built this thing for 20 years and it's over like it was a blue time like I was like yeah so I'm really grateful to be feeling better i know apparently it's going to still take a few years but i'm really grateful to be feeling better and i'm really grateful that i have a record label that's invested in innovative material and like cause they were the ones that came forward and they're like why don't you why don't you let us hire this guy and i was you know i'm i've always produced my own work and other artists right so it was a bad feeling to be like and now I, You're gonna be developed by another person. Yeah, so, but but uh, yeah, it's all it's all about taking risks and trusting other people. It was an exercise of trust, which I thought was really good for me personally. I'm satisfied with the product. I feel like Doug offered a lot more than I could have done by myself.
2: I rip it up. Yo, I'm a motherfucker ghost Prancing around the house and out the back door Granted, we made a sweet, slope slanted I hope that we left the house better than we found it I put the sheets back, how you left them Seated about a dozen trees in the yard And if you pay attention to my intention Uh I'll be keeping feeding you forever love gifts But back to the root, that's a good trail Boom, you go and get it I'll be in the shade on the foundation I made I've been making tracks since my hair was black Making magic, shining my crown I'm a ghost now and it's time I leave town I'm a ghost now and it's time I leave town I'm a ghost My hair, do I got the night sky in the daylight? Wrap round my eyes. Sorry about the fright, man. check it out. You say you see through me, but I'm not even here. I miss actually. Do you in the grass? Print the footsteps past. I'm a ghost now. I'm gonna last.
0: I'm a ghost now. When it's
1: time I leave, take I'm a ghost, which is another song I love. Okay, and great. It's been out for a little while, so I'll, everyone can listen to it.
0: Yeah, so uh I'm a ghost. Uh there's several versions of that song. There's um a version of that song that's uh already out on the internet and then there's another the second version which features Speck as well. And that track is has several places but primarily it's a it's an analysis of the celebrity machine, the machinery of celebrity. And like when I say like I rip it up, yo, I'm a ghost prancing around the house and out the back door. Granted, we made a sweet slope slanted. I hope that we left the house better than we found it. That's really about like, you know, you enter the music industry and everyone tells you you have to be famous, but you're there to work so there are two different pursuits. So that's really about like, when I say print, like out the back door, that's like my, my go-to the always in the music industry. I'm always like, I'm like there to do the work, but I'm not really there to like take the diet pills and put on the dresses and have the facial surgery. I don't care. I want to work. So that song is very much about the music industry. And like when it's just talking about being invisible, because a lot of people will be like, You know, sometimes people be like, oh man, you know, like your career, it's not really going. It's like, you don't even know what I'm doing. I'm working on like so many projects. I just don't blaze it all over the internet and be like, today I like got it. You know, like that's the machinery of celebrity where you're always supposed to be telling everyone what you're doing and it's gotten worse with social media. So it's really about like being a person who works at an underground level. That's what I'm a ghost now.
1: Oversaturating people with process doesn't yeah. leave a lot of room for just that, you know yeah you don't have editorial freedom and and if you've shared things before, they're ready or even in their early stages, yes. they're not new by the time they're released.
0: Yeah, and it's a weird, fu- the function of social media is weird because you're supposed to be trying to stay at the top of everyone's feed. But it's like, why would I want like people to know, like, hey, I th- I'm thinking of writing a song. <laughs> like, no, write the song, do the work, then put it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this brings up some questions I have about um, crowdfunding. and mm. You're doing a pledge music campaign for the my record. La- my record label is, Yeah, I'm not... Well, it's around the release, sure. Understood. Pledge campaigns have been interesting to me. Mm. Often I see them as either very independent Mm -hmm. U.S. artists or pretty well-supported Canadian artists, you know? And the Canadian albums are always the ones that come out, whereas the stateside ones are ones that don't. Or the the campaign packages and promises are a little too ambitious, you know? Right. Uh, For $500, for instance, your favorite singer is not going to come make you dinner and sing you to sleep
0: (laughs) and do that kind of
1: work uh, for that level of patronage. I was interested in the feed the fire things also being at this point in your career that we're talking about, where there's this moment where people who are new are welcome into the fold. And then those who have followed you for a while, it's a nice point to look back at a kind of retrospective yeah, and going all the way to, really your career can chart some high and low points for the whole industry yes the film which we'll talk about later does an excellent job establishing that the album too I was wondering how you navigated that because it did seem to me like the pledge campaign was probably label a label initiative which is fine. Uh,
0: yes, it's fine. Uh, my record label is, they're really good people. And they're, you know, they're like anyone else. Everyone in the industry is wearing several hats. Because mm-hmm. all the lines are blurred. It's like, am I a manager? Am I like a singer? Am I? A, everyone's feeling it, right? So the Pledge Music Campaign was their idea. And I just said, yes, I will do it. But you guys have to man the ship. Like, I'm not going to get online every day and be like, ha! Hey everybody! Have you contributed to my campaign? Like it's just not going to work. So they came up with some great and interesting ideas. I gave them some retro product, and I'm just not watching it and not looking at it because it makes me feel like such a loser that I can't deal. <laughs> like, How so? Well, because it's like. You just, I just don't want to be like looking at it, being like, "Oh, nobody's bought anything." <laughs> like it just feels too bad, so I just won't look at it.
1: I've heard you mention before in other interviews that you re- rediscovering cassettes you did before Tidy and yeah. being really proud of them. Yeah. So I, I'm sure to balance out that reaction, there's positive.
0: Mm -hmm. Spin as well. (laughs) Well, I just moved and when we moved I was like opening boxes and I was like, what is this? Oh, those are cassettes that I made in 1995? Because when I first entered the music industry a lot of people, well, first of all, people, everybody told me they were like, there's no way you can put out a cassette with like eight different styles on it. And I was like, but I like it, you know. And then, you know, things started to go well for me and I started to get hustled by all these major labels and a lot of the people in my community were like, not a lot, but enough that it really sunk into my sense of myself where people were like, the only reason people are interested in you is because of your body. Or like, the, if you think people are noticing your talent, you're wrong, they're noticing your tits. So I got so much of that from men that I were p- playing with that I really it influenced the way I felt about myself so it was very interesting for me now at this stage like I'm older I've been in the industry for a long time I've seen a lot of people come and go and like I put those cassettes on and I was like fuck you the reason I got signed is because I was good and like why you guys couldn't have had the like pure spirit to just to your friend say you're good at what you do go like so that's that was a really interesting moment for me. Also because of I've been dealing with injuries, and with injuries you start to question yourself, right? Your physicality, yeah, too, and you're like, sure. maybe I'm a loser. Maybe I'm never going to be able to use my arm again. Like, how am I going to wipe my ass? Like, all those things are hard, right? When you can't use your arms, and so it ha- it has an element of despair that. Was lifted a bit when I heard some of that old stuff. Like, I bawled my eyes out when I heard it. I was like, Holy, I was good. And all these people were telling me that I wasn't. You know, it was really cathartic. And that's why, to my label, I was like, Yeah, man, take these. I know they're crap in a certain way, but they're very innovative. You can hear me taking chances. I'm around a lot of new artists, and that's the only thing I say to people is just take chances, man. Like, that's what makes good art. Just try or don't listen to anybody, so... This
1: is an important thing to look back on in a retrospective moment because you still foster and and support new artists in Canada, but Mm. for people who maybe follow you and are not Canadian or not in, you know the culture reads a little differently. Yes. But to know that you had unfortunately experienced things as a young woman. Yes. Right? Industry, sexism, racism, Mm -hmm. all these Mm -hmm. things that we're trying to unpack now. Yes. I think in a first wave to just eliminate that happening again or happening in such a stratified and systemic way because now we can identify things that happened just 10, 20 years ago. Yes. And know that they're getting dated
0: yeah in, that there's
1: no more room for them so yeah. you've in other outlets talked a bit about you know some of the sexual violence and things that you experienced but what i found really interesting and this speaks to some of the eclecticism and you know varied nature of the music and work that i growing up in the northeast of the states we always looked to canada mm-hmm. toronto And Vancouver in particular, because, you know, you could go to a drum and bass night, you could go to a jungle night, but you're not going to get an artist like you or Astero or -hmm. people who can just move comfortably between those things without being appropriative or weird or disingenuous. So, And then you've seen that take off on huge scales with friends of yours like Nelly Furtado, who working with, forgive me if I get the producers wrong, Track and Field or whoever did her first album. Um, seemed very invested in that. But then you've seen the export with hip hop not happen in as seamless a way. Mm-hmm.
0: Being able to work, like I brought in um, Spec from the Dream Warriors and um, we've like had, we've worked together on and off as friends and as professional peers for about, about 20 years now. And so that was really encouraging too because it's kind of like you bring in foundation when you bring in like Canada was like the Dream Warriors in Canada were what De La Soul was to, to the States, right? It's like, and that record, the Dream, the first Dream Warriors record was shelved until De La Soul's three feet high and rising started to rise. And then fuckers at Island were like, Hey, we should put this record out. Right. So I have like a, like a strong passion for like artists who I, f- I don't really feel have been given their, their worth. And like, people don't recognize the value of, of those artists. So, Spec is someone like that to me, where, and bring, like, bringing in people that feel like foundation makes me feel strong too, right?
1: Yeah. And for everyone who's listening right now, we're actually lucky to have Spec here with us.
3: I've known Kenny, we were just talking about this. I've known Kenny for about 20 years, and we, we the way we met was super awkward because we, we were sort of. Uh, we bumped into each other at an airport randomly and then were introduced. And then it turned out that uh, she knew exactly who I was and I knew exactly who she was because we were both sort of fans of each other's music. And I think about six months later, she was back, uh, we, it was at an airport in London. Six months later, she was back playing a gig in London. And then that week, she came to the studio and then recorded with me on my uh, record. Uh, after I lost the Dream Wars, I did a record just under the name Spec and um yeah and then we put that record out and toured it in Canada we ended up playing a bunch of gigs together and touring in Canada together and we just recorded on each other's things you know and it's sort of fam you know it's, it's a family vibe and and, you know, the thing is is that the reason I knew who Kinney was was because she really had a reputation and has a reputation as a bit of a renaissance person, you know, somebody who's sort of involved in all things, every sort of artistic discipline that you can think of, and uh, somebody who tries new things and, you know, sort of does things that are really, really unique in industry and has really has her own voice, you know? So anytime I have a chance to sort of, work with anybody that's 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 right up my alley you know um and we're gonna continue doing more stuff together as well so i'm ready was her literally just calling and saying i'm gonna be in new york on these days you're gonna come through or what and that's what happens you know and and it was it was it was super fun and i started putting out music through a side project called the voodoo kids and now we're gonna be doing some stuff together on voodoo kids so yeah it's uh it's I, I it's it's almost like there's not much to say about it because it's just that's just the way it is it, that's the way it's gonna be probably to the day we die you know, so to one of us croak <laughs> we're gonna be just doing stuff every time one of us is doing something else you know
2: she's got eyes that i
1: Play Your Gender It's a documentary. It's working the festival circuit now. Yes. Tell me about it in your own words.
0: It's a film that analyzes the gender gap in authorship and production primarily. And it it was kind of like my life's work. Like, I was really excited to create this. I created it with Stephanie Klattenberg. She's the director and Sahar Yusefi. Those two women made it possible, and we collectively just put it together and kicked butt on it and Sahar is the producer and she's the one who's pushing it forward in terms of distribution and yeah we just all of us had our own reasons Sahar spent a lot of her life in Dubai and she she has her her own reasons why she wants to dismantle patriarchy and the power structures and then Stephanie Klattenberg is a shooter for CBC and you know she wanted to address feminism too because she's a shooter. She's always like, you know, standing there with the camera and buddies always got to say something about her ass or something, you know. So we've all dealt with that so much that it just makes you feel like it just makes you feel like that's all you are when that's the only thing people talk about. And it's like, no, man, actually, like I've got a brain and I'm like, I work pretty hard. So we just wanted to make that film and I'm really really happy w- with it I mean there's weaknesses in it like any project but I'm, I feel like completion anytime an artist completes a project they should be allowed to like pat themselves on the back and have like a sick meal because a lot of times we're working and we don't finish projects and then you, your self esteem suffers if you don't finish a project so I feel like that's kind of where I'm at now I'm like I just feel good about this it's, it's doing good and I need to eat more <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's a
1: really ambitious film. I mean, Thanks. there's a hundred, you must have conducted hundreds of interviews.
0: Yeah, there's, there was a lot of interviews. In um, there, yeah.
1: And I mean, just in editing and organizing that, that's a huge amount of material to work yeah, with. Yeah, and
0: that was Stephanie because uh, the director, Stephanie Klatenberg, because she, I mean, she, I didn't agree with a lot of her choices, but then when I saw the film at the end, I was like, you can tell she's an experienced director because I was like over, I was like, and then we should do this and then that. And they're like, you know what, tell you what, you've never made films. I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. Okay, you, you, you decide.
1: It's, I mean, it sounds like a good process, but what, what I, we just got out of a screening of the film and what I like most is that sort of the thesis of the film is grounded in this binary between there's an archetype of men who work more technical engineering jobs, and that reinforces misogyny and chauvinism and things yeah. that might make a girl like you mentioned, you know, your your uh, camera operator not even being able to just do her job of operating a camera without someone com- you know, making crude things yeah. about her body, which has nothing to do with what's rolling yes. in the camera. So, um, and I think the ha- the film handled it very well. And then it used a lot of documentary practices to introduce very large concept things mm. while still also being a film that showcased all these talking head interviews. How much research and seeking out of of like a sound engineer or someone in a and r or someone who produces who is a woman how many how did you
0: we all researched and we all brought in our contacts and uh so yeah we together between the three of us we had a pretty broad base of contacts to to draw from no it was very exciting it was a very inspiring process
1: when you felt like during production when word got out How many people contacted you to be involved in the film?
0: Quite, yeah, quite a few people wanted to be involved from cities where we weren't going to be working in. So it was a little bit discouraging sometimes to have to be like, yeah, sorry, we're only going to be in New York for two days. We're only going to be in LA for two days. We're only in Toronto for two days. So, because a lot of it was just the preliminary stuff. So for actually shooting, it was, we didn't have a lot of time.
1: Unpacking. Gender roles, yeah, in these positions that you 're hoping to inspire people to go out and seek out what were your considerations with the documentary? Did you want to get people 's accounts and their own experiences, or did you want to focus more? You use statistics and infographics a lot throughout the film,, yeah. which is something that is another documentary mode, you know, mm-hmm. but it 's a good i mean it 's good for the film 's project, so Where did you make those decisions in when you were going to rely on an interview response Uh, or when you needed to bring in a graphic or a stat?
0: We, uh, the graphics and infographics and stuff were, like, we did a lot of research before filming and then uh, a a lot of decisions were made in post, like which, you know, depending on which interviews were the most successful and um where people brought the most in- interesting information forward and then the infographics I thought were really important because because they helped to drive the point home uh like the obvious stuff which without the infographics you couldn't really see like I li- I like it I-, I I liked how that uh turned out did
1: you have to respond to anything or include anything because of the way the film was funded Were there any voices involved? Well,
0: yeah, I mean, we had to change like the original concept which was being funded by a different body with a different director when the project got brought over to a different team and so we had to lose a lot of those elements for legal reasons. So it became a, a really a focus on production and and authorship. And before that, we were also talking about the sexualization of of women in the industry, but we had to drop all of that content be, for legal reasons.
1: My. um... Favorite moment of the film was when several of the interviewees are speaking about the kind of conflict in the space of a music store mm. and their, you know, feelings of inaccess. And then you spoke direct, in a direct address in the film, which I think is one of the few times you do directly address the camera. You talk about really just the emotional work that goes into being there for our show. Can you tell us a little bit about sure. that? Sure.
0: That moment was important to me because self-esteem is a real issue for women. I mean it's a real issue for everybody but like going into music stores uh it is getting better but like I like before I go into a music store I have to like Give myself a major pep talk. Like, you can do this. You know this gear. You have the language. No one can tell you you don't know. Don't listen to them if they tell you you don't know. And, and don't, and, you know, wear a jacket that covers your body. Make sure you're not wearing makeup or they're going to think that you're looking for a date. I go through all of that every time I go into a music store. And I don't know if I'm alone, but. I mean, it's, like, exhausting. It's, like, if I just want to look at, like, a a micro-corg, and then, like, buddies, like, the four guys are coming around and trying to, like, talk to you and, like, smile at you and stuff, and you're like, I really don't have energy. Like, I really just want to get my stuff, and I think that's important because a lot of women get squeezed out of the business because of that, because they're like, I don't want to go into music stores. what is
1: your advice for young women who go through those steps that you've just mentioned, but then don't find the room or the space to ask a question they have.
0: Yeah, well, I write the question down before I go in and that would be my advice. I actually have to write it down and I start fumbling with my words and getting scared and I just open my book or my phone. I'm like, this is the question I read right off of it and so that helps if you get nervous and shy and then also I always award myself after I go into unsettling situations with food. Good. So I'll always be like, when you're done with the music store, you can go and have tacos. (laughs) I really like, I always award myself with food. That's important. And and it works because it keeps my brain on... Target. Yeah, and I'm like... I'm going to go eat after this. (laughs) So
1: I get through a lot of my day thinking about my next (laughs) meal.
0: Totally. Totally.
2: Go ahead, baby, lock it down. Spread it out. Nice and slow. Spread it all around. Feel it up. Push it in. Take it for the win. Take your time. Uh Crush the berries, make the juice, make a fine wine Put your finger on it, slow Now don't go rushing on it, I know you know There's no stressing on it I got a different set of regulations Different specifications flow at different speed with imagination different set of regulations I wanna get it, wanna get it good I want you to catch a ride on my sweetheart cause I'm a city, I'm a city you're a neighborhood I show you around, show you around, so you can give it good, I wanna
1: there are a couple of people I got to thank for making this episode possible. First, Henry Bainbridge of Effective Immediately PR for all his help scheduling and working out logistics with me and Kenny. I'd also like to thank Emily Maroon of Frank PR for her help on the ground at the Athena Film Festival. Thanks also to Speck, obviously, for sitting in on our conversation and joining us in our discussion. Last, I want to thank Ian Krikora of Aporia Records for sharing the music with me in advance of its October release. Thank you all. Quick roll call of record room, folks. This episode was mixed and mastered by Federico Foglia. Our artwork is by Tom McQuaid, and our theme music at the top of the episode is by dowd Anthony. I'm Will Felker, and as always, if you made it this far, you're a really, really good person. Bye.
2: Hit bow. We, the temple. we go in. And we On my sweetheart Cause I'm a city, I'm a city You're a neighborhood I show you around, show you around So you can give it good I wanna get it, wanna get it good So you can catch a ride On my sweetheart